the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And our focus today, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Looks like the people to the right will just be neglected then. Okay. I guess you guys like to be neglected. Yes, it's gonna be really good. Can you guys believe it? It's already the middle of October. Comes October, then it's going to be November. And in November, oftentimes we celebrate Thanksgiving or something. And I'm sure in school or your families, you guys go through different exercises in regards to being thankful. Participation time. Are there any particular exercises that you guys participate in school or in the family in regards to being reminded to be thankful? Anyone would like to share? Participation time. Yes. Thankful tree. What do you guys do on the thankful tree? Cool. That's awesome. Makes sense. Cool. What other activities do people participate in? Huh? Football. How so? Okay. Okay, so that, that brings about thankfulness in that regard. Okay, <laughs> I just think that's activities during, during uh, Thanksgiving. How about in regards to things like Thanksgiving trees? I know my kids, they dress up uh, a turkey and have leaves of things that they're thankful for. Have you guys participated in an activity like that before? Anybody? Yes, yeah, some? Okay, okay, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. What are things are you guys commonly thankful for? There's another question for you guys. What are things that you guys are commonly thankful for? Things you can share. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Sam. Food. Yes. Zachary. <laughs> thankful that you have hope that you're or you, you know you know it's not even the hope you know. Nice. 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 What other things are people thankful for? What other things are people thankful for? What other things are people thankful for? Family. Family. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of things. Oh, Caden. Maintaining your sanity. Great. We can talk more about that in small group. But there are so many things I'm sure you guys can think of in regards to being thankful for when you guys come down to writing it or thinking about it or meditating on it. 
Today, we're going to be focusing on Colossians 1 from 12, 13, and 14. And really, the main point of it, or even the title of the message, can be titled, Grateful for Your Salvation. Grateful for Your Salvation. And the idea behind that is that Christians, those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, should be thankful. They should be worshipful, worshipful to God because they have been delivered. They have been rescued by God through his son, Jesus Christ. So the, the point of the message today, if you forget, fall asleep, all these different things like that, is that you are to be grateful. You are to be thankful to God because he has rescued you. He has delivered you through his son, Jesus Christ. And before we even get into the message itself, I thought it would be helpful for us to be able to understand a little more and take a step back in regards to the context, the context of the book of Colossians. And we went through that thoroughly several weeks back uh, when Clifton went through the context and background of Colossae or the book, of, the book that we're studying. Here, Paul is not, Paul is addressing a church that he didn't visit, but he had a pastor there named Epaphras who was, who was leading that church. And in that area of Colossae, there was uh, Gentiles there. It was primarily Gentiles. And yet at the same time, there were a good amount of Jewish communities around that area. So you can imagine in regards to Jewish traditions and then Gentile background and traditions as well, all coming together in regards to this church setting. So there's a large population of Gentiles, and yet at the same time, a good amount of Jewish people that were there, all considered within this church of uh, where this book is being directed to in regards to Colossians. And as they're going into, as Epaphras goes to Paul, which is thousands of miles away, it's not like a quick trip to a neighborhood in, around here, but this is thousands of miles away. It's a strong commitment because he knows that there's an issue. There's a problem that is starting and that could continue to grow and get bigger and get out of control and could wreck the church. And the problem that he's noticing is that there's a group of people within the Colossian church that believe ultimately that when we say as a Christian, you can believe in Christ and Christ alone, and that is sufficient for salvation. But there are people in the church or people in the area that are saying otherwise. They're saying God through Christ is not sufficient. Jesus Christ is not sufficient for your salvation. Rather, what is more sufficient, what is additional, what is necessary is, to, for, is for you to learn more, is to gain more knowledge. And so it's this idea of Gnosticism, right? You, not, uh, Gnosis is just the idea of knowledge. And as you gain more and more knowledge, you're actually becoming, in their eyes, more and more holy and more and more godlike, right? So you, you don't just need Jesus. You need to learn more. And I, I just thought it was really interesting because in that culture, they, love lo they loved knowledge, right? And it's, in some ways, it's similar to our culture where we have the internet. The internet. I mean, back in my day, I remember there was dial-up, you know, or, eh, eh, 
you got mail. I don't know if you guys remember that AOL and all those different things like that. It was really difficult. Good point. With that said, we have the internet. We have a wealth of information. You have a question, you can Google it. You, you want to try to fix something or learn how to accomplish a certain task, you can YouTube it. Or you can learn it from this influencer or this blogger or this video blogger. There's so much that's out there that you can continue to consume more and more and more and more of. And it's, it's interesting how in some, some ways, in certain pockets of uh, groups, you can see that certain people who know more seem to be like, okay, I got this covered, I got this handled, I got this taken care of, and I don't really need anything additional to that because I'm learning more and more on my own. So, th I mean, th I, I was interested or just thought it was interesting that there was some similarities in regards to what, what they were experiencing in their culture and what we're sort of living in our culture now. So, again, they were thinking this idea of the gospel is not sufficient. The simplicity of the gospel is not adequate. So not only do you need to know more things, those who are in a position to learn more, those who are in a position to learn from others, those who have this intellectual snobbery are the ones who are the most holy, right? You got to have the superior knowledge. But on top of that, there's this idea where God, God is good and matter was evil or everything that's not spiritual is not good. So this concept that they were thinking that Jesus was basically an angel. So there's basic God in heaven and there's these angels and demons that are fighting against this epic spiritual battle. And God sends his angels to be able to fight this battle. As we're trying to get to heaven, there's these angels that are pursuing or taking us and trying to take us one or the other. And so people in this camp, this Gnostic camp, are saying that Jesus isn't God. He's just an angel that God provided. And he's just one of the ways where you can get to heaven. And so this is just helpful for us to think about what, what they were thinking through, what they were talking about, what they were hearing. And on top of that, like I was saying, there's a majority of people that are Gentile there and have these different philosophies, backgrounds, and upbringings that they uh, grew up in. But then there's also a number of Jewish people that are there too that didn't believe in Christ. So they believed in certain works or certain activities that needed uh, to order, in order to gain their salvation. It was Christ plus rules and laws equals salvation. It wasn't just Christ. It was you had to obey this. You had to do that to be able to earn salvation. So you can imagine Epaphras, knowing that this is before his congregation, knowing the conversations that people are having, knowing these type of activities are coming up, wanting to go to Paul, who's thousands of miles away, thousands of miles away to be able to get Paul to share and write this letter so that he can help address and help encourage these believers. So with that, we get into our text. We get into our text in verse 12, 13, and 14. And verse 12, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So 
we see starting in our verse today that we are to be thankful, right? I think a lot of times in our culture, we can be thankful for a lot of things, right? We can be thankful for material goods. We can be thankful for uh, people. We can be thankful for a lot of different things. But at the heart of it, like we were talking about in the beginning, the heart of it, are you thankful, one, to God who has redeemed you? Because we see in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So there's, we're giving thanks to God the Father. Why? Because he has qualified you. So that gives you an idea in regards to salvation purposes that you need to be qualified to enter into heaven, to be qualified to, to be a Christian. You in and of yourself, you being born in a Christian family, you being born in Orange County or L.A. or wherever it is in Southern California doesn't make you automatically a Christian. Rather, God the Father has qualified you to become a Christian. What does qualification mean? Qualification is this idea of a title or being privileged to enter into the position of, of this title or a right and it was interesting. This week, I was able to, I had tickets to the Angels. I'm not an Angels fan, but I use it for work and things like that. And they had a special event. They had a special event at Angel Stadium. It's a private event. Gave, us two gave me two tickets. And I took my son. I took Theo. And he, for some reason or another, he likes the Angels. And I think it's because he knows that I don't like the Angels. I like the Dodgers more. And he's like, ah, oh, I want to be the Angels fan. I, I like Mike Trout. I was like, oh, come on. Justin Turner. Mookie Betts. Anyway, nonetheless, <laughs> to be able to get in, you need a ticket. You need, you need some type of qualification to be able to get in, whether it be someone inviting you, you've bought a ticket, you've been a season ticket holder, all those different things like that. You can't just enter because other people are entering and say, oh, I just like to get in because I'm interested or I like the angels. No, you need to have some type of qualification to be able to enter. And similar to us, in regards to Christianity or in regards to being saved, you cannot just, oh, walk on in. You need to be qualified. And as we look more and more of it, the point you'll see in today's passage, it's sort of like very similar. It's going to be talking about very similar topics because it's all this idea of being delivered, being rescued from ourselves, from sin. The reason why we're not qualified automatically or born is because of our sin, because we were born in sin. And so God the Father has to rescue us, has to change, has to give us the title, give us the privilege, give us the right to enter into um, his heavenly kingdom. And then as we learn about the qualification, it talks about you share the giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. What is the inheritance? Inheritance is this idea of eternal life it involves eternal joy, eternal pleasure, eternal delight, eternal worship, eternal service, eternal bliss, everything eternal perfect, perfection, eternal righteousness. All those wonderful things, that is the inheritance that we're going to be entering into. That's the inheritance that we get to receive and are qualified into. And as we see again in verse, 
and moving on to verse 13. So we've been qualified and brought about into this inheritance as saints of the light. He, in verse 13, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This reminds us that we need someone. We need someone to take us away, to remove us, to rescue us from the domain of darkness. So, and that's, that's the point of really the heart of this passage, right? He has delivered, and the idea of delivered is here. Delivered really just means rescue. It means to draw oneself, one to oneself. God literally took us and drew us to himself and rescued us. That's the concept of deliverance. And what we understand is that again and again, we need to be delivered. And do you understand that you need to be rescued? You need to be taken out from, from one state to another. And that state you'll see in the latter part of verse 13 saying, the domain of darkness, that is the domain of darkness. Darkness meaning just sometimes can be used as natural or intellectual darkness, but it's most frequently used as metaphorical, so in regards to our moral and spiritual darkness. Really this darkness that we see here, this domain of darkness, is in regards to our moral and spiritual darkness. And the present condition of the world which reflects to the character of evil spiritual powers that dominate us. And then even the idea of domain, right? Domain of darkness. And domain meaning like the power or jurisdiction of darkness or the authority of, dark, of darkness. So not only are we blinded by our sin, our, our moral compass, or spi our spiritual compass, is we're just blinded by that. We don't have a correct understanding of how to live that out uh, correctly, perfectly, righteously in any way, shape, or form. And we see this in passages like Ephesians 2, right? We, and we know and we've read um, these verses in reference. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Right. And then even in Ephesians 6.12, it talks about how that we are no longer in the domain of darkness. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual for forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we're understanding that this darkness it's basically, quote, unquote, the bad guys. Bad guys who hate God, who don't desire to love or want to be with God. And yet at the same time, do you understand that you are or you once were on this team, the team of darkness, the team that did not pursue after God, the team that did not desire to glorify God, the team that desired to do everything opposite of what God commanded. It's interesting for me, I'm growing up in a non-Christian household. My parents, some of you heard testimony before, were, has a Buddhist cultural background. We didn't go to temple, 
but we had some practices that reflected that. And so when I read this passage or when I hear, and we've talked about this in small group too, when I hear passages or hear uh, worship songs like Amazing Grace, it's, it's so sweet to me because I recognize, I, I, I understand where I came from in regards to darkness. So one of the examples I share a good amount is that in elementary school, even at elementary school and kindergarten, my dad was very strict on us. He would discipline us. He would, he would discipline us heavily if we got bad grades. Bad grades as in like C's uh, and, and things like that. And I remember in kindergarten, I got a progress report from my teacher saying that I had a C minus in some activity, right? And she was like, Will, take this slip of paper, give it to your parents, let them know, sign it, and return it back. When I saw that piece of paper, though, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get the beating of my life. I'm not going to be able to do these type of activities, this, that, and the other. Scared. Sweat coming down my face, all that stuff. So I was just thinking, like, what should I do? What do I need to do to get out of this punishment? So I had it. I was in my room, and I, I was like, oh, I got the idea. So my dad, since he owns a restaurant, my parents own a restaurant, he would take a nap in the afternoons from 2 to 3. And so he woke up from his nap, and I was like, hey, dad, can I see your driver's license? He's like, okay, sure. He didn't think anything of it. It's not like his credit card or anything like that, right? It's not his driver's license, because the driver's license has a signature on, usually on the bottom right, right? And he's like, he thought nothing of it. So I saw it, I was like, this is like, this is Theo's age, as you can imagine, right? He's like six. I'm like six at that point. I give it back to him. Thought nothing of it. And then my teacher didn't think anything of it either, right? And so you can imagine at that age, that type of activity, how many other activities I would do on regards to my life, in regards to cheating, lying, stealing, all those different things. And some were as quote unquote comical or fun as that, and others were definitely not, were definitely not. And yet at the same time, I recognize that those activities were ultimately a disobedience. Ultimately, it's because I was captured. I was in, under this authority of darkness, Every, even up to high school. In high school, I called myself a believer because someone shared the gospel with me, but I understood it intellectually. And the re reason why was because I knew all the sins I had committed, and they were saying, because of these sins, you're going to go to hell. There's a chasm here. Right? You're here, God's here, and because you're not perfect, you're going to go to hell. But, but there's Jesus. He makes the way so that you can get into heaven. I was like, get out of hell card? Jesus? All right, I'm a Christian. I'm in. With that said, I was still understanding that I was still in the domain of darkness because I understood it as a means of getting out of hell. I didn't have a relationship with God. And so... As I became a believer in college, I understood where I came from in regards to my darkness and sins and how I was gripped by that, how I was um, under authority of the prince of the power of the air, and I was rescued from that. By the grace of God, God the Father, he delivered, he rescued, he saved me from myself. He saved me from my sinful ways. And as we read in the rest of the passage, he transferred us, transferred Christians to the kingdom of his beloved son. He transferred. He did the work. God did the work. Transfers this idea of removal. 
can be translated as just to remove. It means to change. The idea of the word tra transfer really just means to remove. And the Lord has rescued us from being in the domain of darkness, in the realm of, the Satan, in the realm of Satan. And he has removed us out of that into the kingdom of his beloved son. Literally the kingdom of his son of love. And now we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Who will ever be able to change that? Anybody? And according to Romans 8, no one can. Who shall, shepherd, who shall separate us from the love of God was it in Christ Jesus? And you know the wonderful passage. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We have been delivered. We have been rescued. We have been transferred. We have been removed from that past state and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that sort of ties back to the point I was making. I wanted to go to heaven just so that I didn't want to endure the punishment of hell. I didn't necessarily want to go to heaven because of God. I didn't want to necessarily go to heaven because of Jesus. I just wanted to go to heaven because I didn't want to get in trouble. And I guess I would ask you the same question. Do you consider yourself a Christian because of your knowing what state you will want to be in or knowing because of some family members or friends are in there? Are you, or are you desiring, longing, anticipating, worshiping God, knowing that you'll be in heaven because of Jesus? Jesus who rescued you, who delivered you, who has removed you, who has transferred you into his kingdom. Jesus who lived that perfect life and died that perfect death and rose again so that we can have this relationship so that we can be called children of God. What is that desire? Is that desire out of the love and appreciation for what he has done for you? Or is it the desire because of what you can gain from what God has done? And it goes further in regards to verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption, that idea is the idea of buying back. Right? To redeem something is to pay a price and to buy it back. And it's just like if you were to go to a store and you were to buy something, and later you decide, like, uh, I want it, I don't like it, I want my money back. That's the concept of being able to get it back. You can redeem it, right? And redemption is one of the primary, primary words that expresses the work of Christ. It's used four times in the New Testament, and each time it's used, it's used in in light of or in the thought of deliverance, right? You, you know, you've seen those movies in regards to army or war battles where there's a, a prisoner of war who needs to be rescued, who needs to be um, bought back. And we were in a similar state before we were saved. We were in a similar state in that we needed to be bought. We needed to, there was a ransom for us and Christ, through the, his blood on the cross, 
bought us out of slavery to sin, out of darkness, out of our path to hell, and has delivered us, and has qualified us, and has transferred us, and has brought us into his kingdom. So as you can see, we're understanding that Jesus is the one. And it's really combating the idea in this book of Colossians where people of the Gentile backgrounds or the Jewish backgrounds or the Gnosticism that were there were saying that Jesus wasn't sufficient. Jesus, wasn't, Jesus was not the one that could save us. It was something else in addition to Jesus. But we're seeing it here more and more. All these promises that we have, the state that we've been delivered from is because of God and because of specifically God sending his son Jesus to save us, to redeem us, and to forgive us of our sins. It's nothing that we could have done, nothing that we could have earned in regards to being qualified to know and, and love Christ. It's him transforming us. It's him buying us back. It's him doing the work, delivering us from our sins. One, one author had said it like this. You can imagine yourselves if you are a person, you are a Christian who's grateful for your salvation. You were once unqualified, but now you've been qualified. You've been justified by the blood of Christ. You were once spiritually poor and destitute. Now you get to inherit the kingdom of his beloved son. You were unholy, in sin and darkness, blinded by the way, by the, blinded by uh, the deeds of darkness, and now you have been made holy and righteous. You are going to be headed towards the kingdom of hell, controlled by Satan, and now you are the children of light. You had a debt, you were enslaved to your sin, and now he has redeemed us and bought us. You were guilty of your sins, and now you've been forgiven. So brothers and sisters and those, those who are seeking after the Lord, those who do not believe in Christ, we have a message that shares that we have been delivered. We can be delivered. We can be rescued from our ways, from our sinfulness. And this state is a permanent state, being delivered. He delivered us. He delivered us. And so we can have confidence knowing that he has taken us and he has rescued us and we can have hope in that. So questions for you in regards to going into small group and time, time to discuss further in regards to this passage uh, and our time today. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for your salvation? Are you thankful for Christ? You could be thankful. You can be a person who has a heart of gratitude but it might not be aligned, aligned or set towards the right things. Or the question is, if you're not thankful, why not? If you're not thankful to God for the work that we've talked about in regards to deliverance from sin, why not? Have you, have you recognized that you've been delivered? Meaning, have you recognized your sinful state 
has been redeemed and bought, bought back from. Do you, do you recognize that? And if you do, you should have a heart that is thankful and of gratitude. I'm going to end our time with prayer, and then after prayer, we can dismiss into our small groups. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word uh, and being reminded of your goodness and your loving kindness towards us. Father, that you have uh, delivered us, you have brought us out of our own sin and shame, out of slavery to sin, out of the domain of darkness. You have taken us from our wretched ways and you have brought us into your family. family. You have adopted us. You have brought us into your kingdom and it's all because of your beloved son, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. How he is sufficient, how he is sufficient for the work of rescuing us, of salvation, of justifying us, and bringing us to uh, right standing in relationship with you. Father, may you bless the time that we have as small groups and um, bless the rest of the night that we get to spend together. We love you and thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, wait.